Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for being able to spend a little time with me on a nice Chico afternoon. It's actually, well, it's the middle of tax season now, and I've been super busy. I sort of caught a cold, and I'm on the mend, but still have to work. Can't stop working just because you don't feel 100%, so you keep you keep going. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So on Business Buzz, I like to try to keep you posted on business things, tax things, because I do a lot of taxes. I like to keep you informed and entertained when I can. Hopefully today you'll find some some interesting things. Anybody interested in the stock market has had an interesting week or two. I noticed yesterday, I didn't read the statistics, but I believe yesterday was the Dow, they call it the Dow 30, which is the 30 quote industrials. I've gone over that before on this show. They aren't really that industrial anymore, but it's the Dow 30 that everybody follows. I believe that was up yesterday, like 1200 points. But as of an hour or two ago, it was down another 300 and something today. Uh, gold, which had lost about $100 last week per ounce, was up about $50 earlier today. I think it's up about 40 now. Of course, whenever we talk about the price of gold, we're talking about the price of paper gold. And as we'll see a little later today, that's not the same as real gold, but we'll talk about that too. So when possible, I like to start out with some local business news and then and then spread out. Uh, one thing that I noticed is happening here locally is there is a businesswoman's summit planned in Chico. And I got this from the Enterprise Record. And it says, businesswomen from across the country will be part of the second annual Women in Business Summit. From 9 a.m. to 4.30, March 7th at Chico State's Calusa Hall. Keynote speaker will be Lauren Gruel Kaufman from Apple Computer. So that sounds like kind of a big deal. If there's women from across the country, it's called the Women in Business Summit. And tickets are $15. And I think if you go to the, uh, here it says, the event will end with a career fair. So provides opportunities to network and deliver resumes to companies including PepsiCo, Gallo, Kohl's, Wells Fargo. Wow. So if anybody, any of you are job hunting, I'm assuming it's open to men and women, but it's a woman's summit, but I'm sure it's open to everybody because uh, you can't discriminate like that. When it, when it comes to business, you can't discriminate. Sort of reminds me of my days at Chico State as a student, and I was a business major, and I joined the business major fraternity called Delta Sigma Pi, which didn't have a house at the time, not to be confused with Delta Sigma Phi, that was a full-blown Greek fraternity with a big house on the corner of something like Fifth and Normal, I'm not sure. Fifth and Hazel, something like that, the big white one. So my fraternity was men only when I was there. That was in the late 70s. 
shortly after I graduated, which was technically 1979, even though it was in December, it became a co-ed fraternity because there was some, I don't know the case name, but there was some Supreme Court case where things like Rotary and Elks could no longer be men only because they were business-oriented. And you, you can have private fraternal organizations just for men or just for women if you like, but if they cross over into like business activities, you have to be co-ed. So when I came back to Chico in the late 80s after working in the Bay Area after graduating college, I participated in a few Delta Sigma Pi business fraternity functions. At that point, they sort of had a semi-official house, but it was co-ed by then. So I think it was in the 80s that the laws became to where you couldn't be non-co-ed if it's a business-related thing. So that's why I'm thinking the speakers at the, um, what's it called, the Women in Business Summit, I'm sure that men would be allowed to come uh, do some interviewing also. Anyway, sounds like a pretty significant event, and it is open to the public because the tickets are $15. So I think that would be interesting. And it's at Calusa Hall, which is one of those nice brick buildings, I think. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've actually been on the campus looking around. I believe Calusa is one of those nice brick buildings. So that should be a that should be a good thing to attend, especially if you're a woman, but especially if you're looking for work because it looks like there's a job fair associated with it. So last time I was here, which has actually been a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that there was a chance that this whole coronavirus, which is still in the news, may have been man-made. And I found another article that I thought I'd share a little bit of today. It says, COVID-19 may be man-made, claims Taiwan scholar. And uh, it says, uh, as science, and this is written by Frank Chen from Asia Times. Asia Times is a pretty big internet news source. I'm not sure how big they are in print. So I'll just read a little bit of this. As scientists, doctors, academics, and conspiracy theorists toss around ideas and speculate on where the highly infectious virus originated, a professor in etiology at the National Taiwan University has claimed that the highly infectious virus could be synthetic in nature. In other words, man-made. Questions about the exact origin of the novel coronavirus have grown as it spread across China and then beyond. Hubei, the central Chinese province where it first erupted, reported 499 cases on Tuesday. Now, this was last week, which was the uh, late February week. Uh, Speculation has grown about how the COVID-19 virus came into being. The official conclusion by Chinese authorities is that a dingy wet market in Wuhan, Hubei's capital, was the source of the respiratory pathogen as animal-human transmission could have occurred there. There has been much speculation about a virology institute in the city affiliated with the Chinese Academy of Sciences with rumors about a leakage due to slack management triggering a public health crisis, worse than the SARS incident of 2003. 
Some of the more nonsensical talk includes a conspiracy theory that the United States made the virus to mass-infect Chinese people and stop the rise of its arch-rival. Now a professor in etiology at the National Taiwan University has claimed the highly infectious virus could be synthetic in nature or man-made. Quote, research is likely synthesized the COVID-19, although more studies are needed to be certain. NTU professor Fang Chi Tai told a forum on disease control in Taipei. During his presentation, Fang outlined several hypotheses raised by Taiwanese and other overseas researchers, including the probability that the virus was man-made and was leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology due to gross mismanagement. Fang said the Wuhan facility's biosafety level 4 laboratory was used to store, handle, and research samples of SARS, Ebola, and other deadly infectious viruses. Given China's poor track record of lab safety management, including a leakage of the SARS virus at a state lab in 2004, it is possible that a virus escaped from the Wuhan facility and resulted in the epidemic. He added that analyses of the COVID-19 virus have shown that it had a 96% genetic similarity with an RATG13 bat virus also stored at the Institute, and, the COVID, and that the COVID-19 could be manufactured by modifying the RATG13 virus. Fang also revealed that French researchers had discovered four more amino acids in the gene sequence of COVID-19 than other known coronaviruses which could be added artificially to make the viral transmission easier. Fang's theory is that natural mutations of viruses will only result in small, singular changes, and it is suspicious to see a naturally mutated virus suddenly take on four amino acids. So I'm not going to get into all the rest of this and take time with that. And the, I mean, the science of it, I'm not a biologist, and I don't play one on television. I wouldn't pretend to know anything about viruses and things, except all I say is lately, uh, the more I hear from alternative sources, the more I believe them. And I'm just not certain that, I'm not certain that everything you hear about this virus is absolute truth. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. So one thing I was thinking that was interesting, and I was going to look this up while I'm, while I'm here. Uh, hope everybody's doing well now that the calendar has turned to a new month. What I've noticed is that it seems like every two or four years, there's some kind of weird virus that pops up and it's a big fear thing. And then uh, just as quick as it comes along, as quick as quick as it comes along, it goes away. So let me see if I can find a list like that. So in the 2000s, let me see, we had, oh, there's a lot of them. So in uh, 2001, uh, anthrax popped up. 2002, newborn, uh, let me see. No, that's actually a good news one. Oh, 2003, SARS is discovered in Asia. Uh Package discovering ricin and a note threatening to poison water supplies is in South Carolina. Okay, so the SARS was in 03. Then in 04, rubella. Oh, rubella is eliminated. That's good news. Uh, let me see. 
2005. Large case of polio transmission stopped in India and Africa. Mumps outbreak in 06. First time since 1963 and 07, CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control Issues, Federal Order of Isolation for a Tuberculosis Patient. E. coli outbreaks in 08. Remember that one? We were all going to die, remember? Uh, Oh, 2009, the H1N1. I believe that was the one they called bird flu. Oh, no, we were all going to die again. That was in 09. Okay. I'm going to go to the 2010s, whatever you call that. I guess you call that the teens. Let me see what we got in that lineup. Uh, Let me see. Okay. Multi-state outbreak in 2011 of listeriosis, which is linked to whole cantaloupes. Well, I think that one went away. I never had that problem because I don't particularly like cantaloupe. Uh, CDC uh, meningitis outbreak in 2012. Uh, Oh, an outbreak of salmonella in a multi-state outbreak in 2012 associated with raw tuna. We all survived that one. I mean, I'm not minimizing this coronavirus, but I'm just pointing out the fact that I think every year or two there's a major, oh, 2014 Ebola. Remember, we were all going to die from that one too. And uh, let me see what else we got here. Ebola outbreak in 2015 in West Africa. Uh, Zika virus, 2016. Emergency Operations Center was activated for Zika virus on January 2016. Moved to level one activation on February 8th, 2016. You know what? If I'm not mistaken, I survived the Zika. And I think you probably did too. And I don't mean to minimize the chance or the problem here, but I'm just saying that don't forget pretty much every year for the last 20 years, we've had some sort of scare of a new virus that's going to kill everybody. And it turns out to not be nearly as bad as they say. And that's not a, that's not a scientific analysis. It's just my observation. If you live, if you live in fear it just messes messes everything up. You know how it is when you get, you know, you feel like afraid of something happening and you start not doing things normally because you're thinking about what might happen. And that's sort of the problem we have with these virus things. It looks like every other year we get a big scare and it usually turns out that it's not, not, not a big deal. But then again, it could be, and, and I could be wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. I I like being wrong when it comes to things like this. I'll be right back. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Don't go anywhere. I got more entertainment coming up. Yesterday we were talking about depression. You may know someone who has battled depression or sadly even attempted to take their life. Maybe that is you. I'm Gary Wilkerson with World Challenge. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't deal with depression. What's important is who we listen to when we're feeling depressed. Maybe you're listening to yourself. You have goals or dreams in your mind that you hope will bring you out of depression. But then those dreams fall apart and it doesn't come to pass. So how do we hear God's voice and begin to trust Him? Elijah was depressed, downcast, hiding in a cave looking for a sign. 
And God, in a still, small voice, gave Elijah direction. But not only that, he gave him peace. He gave him a sense of his presence. And once he received that presence, Elijah's mind was renewed. That same thing can happen for you and I. We don't have to be stuck in the darkness of depression. We can cling to that still, small voice, God's voice. He is the key. At World Challenge, we want to help you. Tell us how we can pray with you at pray.worldchallenge.org. That's pray.worldchallenge.org. I'm Gary Wilkerson. Attention KKXX listeners. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 8 a.m. for Hope for Today. We are excited to have the opportunity to air the Hope for Today program with David Hawking. Please make sure to support the ministry work of David Hawking and all the other wonderful ministries that allow us to spread the good news of Christ here on the North Valley's home for Christian talk. KKXX 930. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, taking a much-needed break from my desk full of income tax work that I'll be doing for the next, oh, six weeks or so. I always enjoy it, though. My dad did taxes his, most of his whole life, and he worked till he was 80. You know, it's, it's interesting. When you have a desk job, you can kind of keep working. I, I have a lot of clients who are uh, contractors and roofers and builders and cabinet makers and they do pretty good, but physically it gets kind of difficult to be out in the heat and up on a roof and all that. So I do consider myself a bit fortunate in the, uh, as far as having a desk job that I can continue to work at, uh, even though I'm, you know, getting a little older and, uh, it's nice that of course sitting at a desk isn't good for you, but I make sure to get up and walk around enough to keep my keep my joints moving. So uh, I, I wanted to talk since, since I spend quite a bit of time on Business Buzz talking about protecting your wealth and alternative ideas, the past two, well, the past week and a half has been pretty much a disaster for the basic stock market. I know uh, I don't need to read these. I've read them and I've, I believe last week or in four or five, four days maybe, the Dow lost something like 12%. The S&P lost something like 13%. The NASDAQ lost something like 11 It gained back about a third of a percent in one day yesterday. But, um, no, hang on. That would be, it gained back about 4% yesterday. I'm sorry. But then it's giving back another percent today. I don't know. Whatever. All I'm saying is it's a huge roller coaster and if you're past the if you're past working age and you have a 401k or IRA money that you worked hard to save for it's just difficult to sit there and watch these things happen where all of a sudden 10 to 15% of your income's gone in a week. One of my favorite quotes, not a quote, but one of the things I tell people is take a look at a stock chart and especially just take a look at, say, a 12-month chart of the S&P or a 12-month chart of the Dow right now. And what I always tell people is it goes down a lot faster than it goes up. 
even though the recent rise in the Dow and the S&P has been historically unprecedented, if you look at a chart right now, you'll see that in the last six months, which were really good months, the rise in those markets basically got eaten up in one week. So even in a astonishingly good market rise, which we've had over the last six months, the entire rise of those indexes was wiped out in one week. The point being, it's too late. By the time these things start, if if you remember 2008, there was like a 40% decline in the S&P, and it didn't take that long to happen. I think it all erased 40 or 50% of that within less than a year. So if you keep sitting there thinking, oh, it'll come back, it'll come back, that's fine if you're 25 years old and you're just now starting to earn and putting money away because if you're putting money away, you're buying at the lows. So the people who were putting money away all during 08, 09, and 10 when it was low, uh, they, they've made money since then, which is fine. I'm mainly addressing people who don't work anymore really don't want to go back to work or really can't go back to work. That is the money you've saved. You need to find a way to protect it. In the next few weeks, I will be discussing ways to protect it. The main thing is if you go chasing, like they call chasing yield, that would be the equivalent of somebody that's retired taking $100,000 out of a CD that was earning 1% or 2% in the bank and putting it in the stock market to try to make more make more of a return than the 2% guaranteed by the CD. That's one example of chasing yield. And in today's low interest environment, which is completely artificial, it's not natural to have interest rates this low. Of course, they aren't that low if you're a basic guy without any real property and borrowing on credit cards. They're higher than ever. But For investors and savers, the interest rates are at all-time lows. It's not natural. It's being artificially artificially done. So what I wanted to do was last week when the coronavirus news started hitting and the stock market went way down, the gold market went up by about $100. I believe it went from the high 1500s to the high 1600s in a matter of a couple of days. What's interesting is you can always tell when something's brewing because the day before something big hits, they knock the gold price down 20 or $30 so that when it does jump $40 the next day, it doesn't look as bad. But same thing happened last week. It shot up by about $100 an ounce, and then it got hammered back down to under 1600 And what I wanted to present on that fact is an article that was dated... Uh, Tuesday the 25th, which was uh, actually my birthday. I won't say which birthday, but it was my birthday. And I'm going to read this article from a guy named Gary Tenacian. And I got it from, where did I get it from? Goldseek.com. It's a website that has a lot of news stuff. So he says, I went out in the afternoon with gold screaming upward on COVID-19 hysteria. I see something like that, and I mentally prepare for the volatility violence we talked about in last weekend's edition. Maybe some of you old hats like me remember the last bull market from 2001 to 2008. Yes, of course you do. Massive attacks on gold were routine, 
and they seem to come at highly sensitive times from another for an for another manipulated asset class stocks. How on earth can you calm the herds down and tend them back into stocks if gold is flying around way up there signaling all's not well? Is gold manipulated? Why, of course. Policymakers and their agents stand ready 24-7 to, shall we say, influence the financial markets. Does gold get the bad end of the stick while stocks get the golden end? Why, of course. Deal with it and don't cry about it. One thing I have noticed over the years is that reversals in the gold price like yesterday, seemingly out of thin air, come more often in bull markets than bear markets. It's a fact of life in a gold bull market. Is someone strategically taking down the metal at a sensitive moment by jiggering the futures with a multi-billion dollar sale? Yeah, probably. Is it related to the Bank of International Settlements? Probably. Is it planned, coordinated, and and executed by scumbags trying to keep the paper and digital debt edifice from burning to the ground? Yeah, probably. Much for the same reasons they so desperately try to defend and pump stock markets. Don't personalize it. So they dive-bombed you, assuming you are a gold booster yesterday. If you were prepared mentally, it did not mean anything. Volatility violence, remember? It's easy to read someone write something like that, but not so easy to sit through it when it comes about. Yesterday it came about. Now he's talking about the day that after it went up by about $100 in a couple of days, it went down by like $60 in one day. He says, yesterday it came about. The darn thing was getting overdone anyway. It was a dive bomb, not a carpet bombing. Two o'clock Charlie. He was a feature of the last bull market. Laugh at him, deride him, but don't let him distract you and don't let the gold bug hierarchy get you too upset and emotional. They are famous for excuse making. Gold is bullish. Silver is at support. The miners are bullish. The violence came and may not be done. For some, it may even represent opportunity. As a final note, I am not comfortable with COVID-19 as the stimulant for gold. Insofar as this exogenous event becomes an economic event, then fine. It'll be a proper fundamental, and it looks like that's the way it's going. This may not turn out to be the usual gold hype that turns out to be ill-fated. But if it somehow does, no darned excuse-making, okay? Gold was doing just fine grinding out a cyclical bull market before the flu hysteria hit. Now it's in the grip of other forces. Anyway, that was his little comment about the the day when it all when it all went down. Now I have another article that's kind of related to that, and uh, it's t- and I'm going to be coming up on break number two here, but I'm going to share one. There we go. What timing? Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. In the middle of tax season, I'll be right back. God has a plan that centers in his son, Jesus Christ. And one day we'll know what we should know now. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive all the power, all the glory, all the blessing, everything. David Hawking reminds us exactly why God is basing his plan on the work and person of his son. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. In this age of ear-tickling, where are we to turn to hear the Word? This is Pastor Greg Lundstedt from Equipping the Saints Radio, 
And I would like to invite you to tune in to Equipping the Saints to hear the uncompromising preaching and teaching of God's Word on this station. Look us up on the web at www.etsradio.org. We look forward to our time in the Word together. Pastor Greg Lundstedt and Equipping the Saints Radio. Weeknights at 6.30 here on KKXX. In God we trust. Our coins and currency cry out that proclamation. Let us reaffirm that powerful attitude in our daily lives and the choices we make. Fellow Americans, recommit that faith and trust in Almighty God and His ways. That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. Individually and together, we can make the sacrifices needed to bring God's abundant blessings to America. America, bless God. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon with me. I was just making a note of what is happening as we speak. I think these are 10-minute delayed. Oh, hmm, interesting. The Dow has given back 700 and... 785 of the 1,200 it gained yesterday, so that's two-thirds of yesterday's gains just got evaporated. Uh, Gold is put on $51 an ounce today, which is really amazing because usually they don't let it get that high. The interesting thing about the gold deal is the gold is up $51 today. Oh, it's up another five, so it's up 56 today. But silver is only up 52 cents. Now, here's the weird thing. The key number to watch whenever, if you ever want to look up gold and silver uh, prices, you go to Kitco, K-I-T-C-O dot com. I think it's a Canadian place. They do a lot of news about gold and silver. The interesting number to look at is called the silver to gold ratio. It is over 95 right now, which means for the price of one ounce of gold, you can buy 95 ounces of silver. I was listening to an interview this morning, and the guy that's the head of a thing called First Majestic Silver, it's the world's largest silver-only mining company. What's interesting is when they mine for silver, silver is mainly found as a byproduct to base metal mining like copper and nickel and lead and things. So silver is a byproduct of other mining. First Majestic is actually a silver, mainly silver. I believe 60% of all their mining is direct silver mining. He was saying that silver comes out of the ground right now uh, about 9 to 1 silver versus gold. So in all the mining around the world each year, For every ounce of gold 
mine, there's nine ounces of silver mined. Now, the interesting thing of that is right now the silver price is 95. Gold is 95 to 1 and should be 9 to 1 based on what comes out of the ground. Of course, there's lots of factors, but the main factor whenever you talk about metals prices is that these markets are paper markets. They're not physical markets. This gold is not moving around. In fact, the people that I listen to, they talk about all these things all the time. If you were a trader trying to buy a long futures contract, which is worth 100 ounces of gold and 5,000 ounces in the case of silver, you can buy that on, you can buy the contract on margin. And when it expires, you can take, they call it take physical delivery. And you could actually send them the money. Let's say silver ended at $18 an ounce. You could send them $90,000 and they would ship you 5,000 ounces of silver. That was the bargain you made. Here's the problem. Those markets are specifically, the way they work is you can't do that. They don't have that kind of metal on hand. And the people who've tried to do that have been told in no uncertain terms, you're not welcome here anymore. A small guy might be able to get 100 ounces of gold or you know 5,000 ounces of silver now and then, but... In the fine print on all of these paper tradings, it says right there that they can settle it in in dollars. So whatever the paper price is, that's all you're going to get for your, quote, gold or your, quote, silver that you thought you owned. Those markets are complete scams. So in in that vein, I'm going to read a little article here that's from today. Uh, It's a place called Bullion Star, and I got this article from my favorite news gathering place called zerohedge.com and it says uh, paper gold price disconnect from the reality of physical gold demand it says the last trading day of february wrapped up one of the worst weeks for stock markets within the last 20 years with us and worldwide equity markets reeling amid a deep and sustained sell off triggered by the explosion of clusters of coronavirus cases outside of china and the market's fear as to how this will impact global economic growth, trade flows, supply chains, and earnings. I want to point out, I was here two weeks ago, and I was reading about coronavirus, and I said that there's a chance that this was done on purpose in order to have an excuse for the world economy's collapse. And uh, right after I said that, uh, these losses happened. Not to say that I'm correct. I'm just saying that's what happened. Uh Panic on Wall Street. Over the week from February 24 to February 28, U.S. stock market indices entered correction territory with the benchmark uh, Dow Jones average, that's that 30 I was talking about, falling 12.4% on the week, the broader S&P 500 closing 11.5% lower, and the NASDAQ off by 10.5% lower over five trading days. Buying the dip was nowhere to be seen with the Dow and S&P falling during seven straight sessions into Friday's close, and all three indices recording the worst weekly performance since October 10, 2008, at the height of the global financial crisis. Wow, that tells you something. And actually, this article has that chart I was talking about, and yeah, it's about five to six months of gains were wiped out in one week, and that's that chart I was talking about. Equity markets across Europe and Asia followed suit. Uh, London down 13%. 
Pan-European stocks 612%. Japan's Nikkei off by 9.6. Anyway, you know, I'm not going to bore you with all these numbers, but uh, to make a long story short, anyone with their wealth, their quote wealth in uh, paper, paper funny money probably lost over 10% uh, that week. And like I say, yesterday it gained about 4% back, but today it looks like it gave up about 3% of that four. So nobody's really ahead in the last two days either. It says, but what about the gold price in all of this and of gold's reaction to recent market volatility? Firstly, it's worth mentioning that over the last year, the U.S. gold price had been performing strongly, independent of any coronavirus-related news coming out of China or elsewhere. For example, during 2019, the U.S. dollar gold price took out key psychological levels, rising up through each of 1,300, 1,400, and 1,500. Early this year, saw this trend continuing with the U.S. gold price reaching the 1580 level two weeks ago. As stock market levels began keeling over in the week beginning 17 February, the upward trajectory trajectory of the U.S. dollar gold became noticeably steeper with the gold price ending on 21st February at the 1644 mark. Beginning 24 February, the day in which global stock market fear really took hold, gold not surprisingly opened markedly higher at Asia market open, spiking up to 1686 at one point in the early trading day. Notably, this was a seven-year high in U.S. dollars and also an all-time high in the euro, the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, the Japanese yen, Swedish krona, New Zealand dollar, Indian rupee, Brazilian real, South African rand, Danish kroner, Indonesian rupiah, Malaysian ringgit. And I pointed this out before. Everywhere else in the world, gold is at an all-time high right now. It's just that since the dollar has been strong, uh, versus the dollar, it hasn't made an all-time high yet. I, I don't think it's going to take that much longer. However, Monday's intraday high didn't hold with COMEX futures prices dropping in afternoon trading. Over the next three days from Tuesday to Thursday, during which U.S. and global markets continued to plunge, the U.S. dollar gold price chopped sideways in the thir- 1630 to 1650 range, continually hitting a ceiling in the 1650 zone. Unable to break through this ceiling, the U.S. dollar gold price then turned lower on Friday, coming under extreme pressure on the COMEX, falling more than 4.6%, the worst one-day percentage loss in gold prices since November 2016. Closing the week at about 1585, this meant that over the week from Monday to Friday, there was a $100 gold price reversal with the bulk of the impact on Friday. An uncharacteristic price pattern for a safe haven asset in times of extreme market crisis. Unexpected enough for mainstream financial news agencies to question the price action. With, for example, Bloomberg pondering that it is an odd moment for gold to be tumbling. One of the oldest and most trusted safe havens in times of crises, gold typically rallies amid nasty stock sell-offs like this one that has gripped the world this week. So anyway, Odd, strange, confounded, perhaps, but only if you don't realize that the gold price is not a price derived from physical gold transactions. It is rather a price derived from leveraged paper gold transactions, which exist in unlimited supply. So what caused this, what caused this gold price fall, and where did it occur? 
The where is the answer is simple. As explained in what sets the gold price, is it the paper market or physical market? The international gold price is established in the trading venues that have the highest trading volumes. And those trading venues are Comex Futures Gold Trading in New York and over-the-counter gold trading centered in London, both of which are forms of derivatives or paper gold trading, and neither of which are directly connected to the physical gold market. This means that the physical gold market is a price taker, and these derivative markets are the price makers. See, I've been talking about this. I'm not going to bore you with every little detail here, but uh, the bottom line is that's not real gold being bought and sold in the millions of ounces a day. It's, it's their way of keeping the price low. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when gold back in 2011 went to 1600 1700 and it topped out a little over 1900 an ounce, I mean, I had clients who were by no means wealthy at all um, taking out their IRA money and buying an ounce or two of gold with what they could afford. And, of course, a lot of them lost money as of now because if they bought it at 17 or 18, it's now 1640 or 1650 or so. But what I always tell people is like with physical silver at 17 or 18 dollars an ounce, the downside is very limited and the upside is very unlimited. And that's uh, that's kind of the point. The point with any investment is you got to look at what's the downside possibilities versus the upside. So that's the last break on Business Buzz. I'll be back for one more segment. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Pacific Justice Institute. This is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. In Kennewick, Washington, street preacher Eric Schoenbachler was arrested two years in a row for violating the municipal code regulating noise. Well, Pacific Justice Institute filed a motion to dismiss both times, and both times the District Court of Washington for the County of Benton granted dismissal. The court said free speech in a public forum is protected by the state constitution and, quote, noise was too vague in the ordinance. Folks, PGI will continue to defend street preachers who continue to be harassed. To know your rights in the public square, visit pji.org to download our resource, Public Evangelism Q&A. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I hoped he'd get help. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, taking a 
much-needed break in the middle of a tax season day. I hope you're having a nice afternoon. I know the traffic gets bad around this late afternoon time, so hopefully you're not stuck in too much of it. Oh, and today's the uh, Super Tuesday, so don't forget to vote. Oh, that's right. We vote by mail here. I forgot. Okay, so uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes here. I've got two topics to cover in the next little segment. One, I'm going to read a little bit from Egon von Greyers, my Swiss gold hero, who I always enjoy reading. And the title of his article that was from last week, and his website is goldswitzerland.com, and you can go there. Says, I have stood on a soapbox for 20 years to explain the virtues of gold. Says, as the world is approaching the end of another failed monetary experiment, very few people are aware what lies ahead of them, and therefore nobody is mentally or financially prepared for the massive shock that will hit the world. Gold is now signaling to the few who follow the price of gold that there is trouble ahead. But since less than one half of a percent of investors own gold, virtually no one understands this important signal. I have told our investors who are in precious metals that they shouldn't wish for the gold price to go up, because when it does, we will enter a phase in history which will be extremely unpleasant, is it? And that is exactly what will happen next. Ponzi schemes eventually run out of money. Central banks have totally destroyed the global financial system by believing that they can control the world by continuously printing money and extending credit. Like all Ponzi schemes, the present one only works by doing more and more of the same. But Charles Ponzi and Bernie Madoff at least could rob new investors of their money to pay the old ones. But a Ponzi scheme has one great disadvantage compared to a central bank. Eventually, the Ponzi scheme runs out of new investors, and the whole scheme collapses with everybody losing everything. Central banks have a major advantage because they don't need new investors to pay the old ones. Instead, they have a printing press or its modern electronic version so that they can just print money at will whenever there is a need. Just since the last crisis started, central banks have caused a doubling of the amount of debt outstanding in the world from $125 trillion in 2006 to $260 trillion today. So $135 trillion has been created out of thin air and no one needed to do any work or produce any goods. The money just dropped down from above or spurted out of computers. Just look at that manufactured and fake money in relation to global GDP, and that's a gross domestic product. In 2006, global GDP was $51 trillion and debt was $125 trillion, which was 245% of GDP. Today, GDP is $87 trillion and debt $260 trillion. That means the world has achieved an increase in GDP since 2006 of $36 trillion, but had to print $135 trillion to achieve this, which is almost four times the increase in GDP. So, and his point here is this. So for every dollar of GDP increase, $4 had to be printed. This is what is called running on empty. To fill the tank or economy with worthless pieces of paper can never create a sound financial system or real wealth. So how are the central banks going to get out of this? The problem is they are not. But they believe they can just continue the same game of expanding credit and keeping interest rates low. Sadly, they will fail miserably. If they studied history, they would know. But instead, they show a remarkable arrogance in believing that it is different today. Since they are falling back on relatively short period in history since the creation of the Fed in 1913, they can, of course, argue 
that they have been right for over 100 years. So uh, what he's saying is that just printing money doesn't solve any problems, and right now uh, it takes $4 of new money to create $1 of economic growth, and that's not a very, that's not a very good ratio. And what he's saying is that it's, like it's kind of like the end of a Ponzi scheme where uh, you can't keep going that way and increase the debt uh, that, that much and keep the system going. So, well, that's the end of the economic uh, financial portion of the show today. I did want to share one other thing uh, here, and what it was was I had a comment that uh, when I read part of the uh, Course in Miracles study that I do, uh, one person had called it uh, Eastern religion, and so I decided to kind of go back to something that I've read before, and it was a book that I read years ago, and it was called it was called "The Lost Years of Jesus." And what it what it mentioned was that in the Bible, uh, the story ends when Jesus is young, like twelve or thirteen years old, and normally someone who would have been in that part of the world would have become married at that time. I believe that was the age of adulthood back then for the the people of that area, and so this book was real interesting because it talked about, well, why does the New Testament skip from him being 12 or 13 years old to when he comes back in his late 20s, I believe, and he's then uh, ministering uh, to people, uh, but there was like a big gap in the time frame. So one of the theories was that he actually went east and uh, studied that way. So I'm just going to read part of this article. It's called, Jesus' lost years may finally have been found, and this is actually from 2009, uh, and it was actually, this was posted on the Huffington Post, which I don't normally read, and the, the author's name is Paul Davids, and it says, long before tech support was outsourced to India, Christianity's founder may have gone there first. Easter approaches and readers of the Huffington Post should know about the accumulation of evidence that Jesus spent part of his life in India. Which parts and how long or even whether this happened are much debated by many scholars and religious leaders. However, after four years of work on the film Jesus in India, which took me to three continents and to experts from all the major religions, my position is that although a final verdict is not yet in for Jesus in India as a concept and theory and new direction in religious thought, where there is smoke there is often fire, and I've been wading through the smoke for years. Or, as the New York Times said of my film, I've been sifting through legends, myths, and historical evidence in an attempt to ravel the mysteries of the life of Jesus of Nazareth from ages 12 to 30 and Jesus' possible travels in India. Everyone is entitled to his or her right of skepticism, but if you fail to accept the challenge of considering this, you will be depriving yourself of knowledge of an extraordinary puzzle. This remarkable puzzle, which involves 18 lost years or hidden years in the life of Jesus, may well turn out to be a cornerstone for understanding many enigmas about Christianity, like the long-ignored missing but somehow obvious clue in a mystery that remains unsolved, or perhaps somehow it will eventually be proven a dead end by indisputable dating of documents, DNA testing, and other scientific tests and tools. Either way, none of us will be the worse for the truly incredible journey to inquire and discover what can be surmised 
about Jesus' lost years by taking the questions right to the ancient temple of the Hindus in Puri, India, where some say Jesus spent several years. The some include the present spiritual leader of the Hindu religion and a Buddhist monastery high in the Himalayas in Ladakh, India, where an ancient scroll has long been held to exist that purportedly answers all the questions about the missing years of Jesus. What's that? You didn't know Jesus was missing? The New Testament has a black hole from the ages 12 to 30 of Jesus' life. In the world of film, we call that sort of omission a jump cut. In fundamentalism, they call it a part of Jesus' life that God doesn't think you need to know about, or God would have made sure it was included in the Bible. On one page of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is 12 years old in the temple in Jerusalem, and then nothing, nothing for 18 years until Jesus shows up at the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. One critic accuses me of biblical biblical revisionism for examining the gap. But I'm not revising. How can you revise what isn't there? I'm probing to see if historical records and long-standing traditions of all kind can help cure the omission. During the benediction at the inauguration of Barack Obama, Reverend Rick Warren referred to Jesus at one point by the name Issa. Never heard Jesus called Saint Issa? It's how they refer to him in the Muslim and Hindu worlds, and even the Buddhists are said to conceal a very ancient manuscript in a monastery high in the Himalayas called The Life of Saint Issa, the Best of the Sons of Men. The story of the existence of that manuscript that fills in the missing years of Christ and describes his travels as a young man in India, and even has Jesus exhorting the Hindus to stop worshipping idols and give up the caste system, has been resoundingly debunked in much of the Christian world for nearly a century. It's long overdue that the debunking stop. Our journey to India following the trail of those who saw and translated the manuscript several times gives a very convincing case that the manuscript does exist and that it dovetails neatly with a long list of other kinds of evidence that put Jesus in India during that period of his life. If true, that journey of Jesus to the East was conveniently omitted from the New Testament. You don't think Jesus could have reached India during his years as a young man? If he had remained in Judea, wouldn't he have been married off at age 13, the age all Jewish boys attain manhood? The Silk Road to India and beyond was much traveled. There were caravans of merchants, and if there were three wise men from the East who were present at Jesus' birth, doesn't it imply that a, lo- that a tug from the Orient was present in Jesus' life from the beginning? Then why would the Lord not return the visit, especially since the oldest temples in the world belonging to the oldest religions were in India? And why did Jesus send St. Thomas to India to preach the gospel there after the crucifixion if Jesus never knew the importance of India? Doubting Thomas preached in India for 20 years and died there. It's a well-supported fact. Take a look at Jesus in India and you'll begin to see what may have happened in those missing years of Jesus' life and what may have been omitted deliberately or just lost from the story you've been told again and again since childhood. Noted reviewer Pete Hammond describes the documentary Jesus in India as fascinating and profound, a deeply spiritual journey, and the website of Paramansa Yogananda calls the film groundbreaking. But critic Jeff Wilser said before Christmas that it would make Bill O'Reilly of Fox News choke on his eggnog. And Nancy DeWolf-Smith writes in the Wall Street Journal that the film is a cavalcade of crackpots and pseudo-history, ignoring that the film has such luminaries as the Dalai Lama, and then he mentions some other uh, people like uh, people from the Vatican and all that. So anyway, 
If it turns out that this is a cavalcade of crackpots, it fits neatly with my other films, which usually seem to be about the crackpots who are gifted philosophers, artists, geniuses, and honorable men through the centuries, all of whom were considered outcasts in their time. Uh, Van Gogh, Timothy Leary. Anyway, this guy's made a few different movies. However, as for the controversy about Jesus in India, surf over to Jesus in India, the movie, and you'll see what's provoking uh, all this uh, excitement. So anyway, I wanted to bring that up because uh, when I got a comment about The Course in Miracles being Eastern religion, uh, I, I really don't think of it that way, but I had read that book before that mentions Jesus' lost years, and it does have a lot of evidence that that could be the case. And my, my main reason for doing that is that I, I believe that, uh, for one, I just believe that everybody should have their own interpretation of uh, things like the Bible. And uh, I just wanted to end with one quick, quick little excerpt from, um, from The Power of Now, and that's an Eckhart Tolle book. And it's called uh, You Are Not Your Mind. A beggar had been sitting by the side of a road for over 30 years. One day a stranger walked by. Spare some change, mumbled the beggar, mechanically holding out his old baseball cap. I have nothing to give you, said the stranger. Then he asked, what, what's that you are sitting on? Nothing, replied the beggar, just an old box. I have been sitting on it for as long as I can remember. Ever looked inside, asked the stranger. No, said the beggar. What's the point? There's nothing in there. Have a look inside, insisted the stranger. The beggar managed to pry open the lid. With astonishment, disbelief, and elation, he saw that the box was filled with gold. I am that stranger who has nothing to give you and who is telling you to look inside. Not inside any box, as in the parable, but somewhere even closer, inside yourself. But I am not a beggar, I can hear you say. Those who have not found their true wealth, which is the radiant joy of being and the deep, unshakable peace that comes with it, are beggars, even if they have great material wealth. They are looking outside for scraps of pleasure or fulfillment or love, while they have a treasure within that not only includes all those things, but is infinitely greater than anything the world can offer. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico. This hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. President Trump has pitched his proposed payroll tax break on Capitol Hill as pressure mounts on the administration and Congress to work more vigorously to contain the coronavirus outbreak. Vice President Mike Pence explained the importance of the economic break it would give to people. The president's absolutely adamant working with the Congress or using his executive authority to ensure that that hourly workers, people working for small or medium-sized businesses that don't currently have paid family leave, 
um, will be able to stay home and be confident that they're not losing a paycheck. I think every American can identify with that concern. Democrats are preparing their own package of low-cost virus testing, unemployment insurance, and sick pay for workers struggling to keep paychecks coming as the outbreak disrupts workplaces. Meanwhile, authorities in Washington state have reported two new coronavirus deaths, bringing the total there to at least 24. The new deaths reported were a woman in her 80s, a resident of a nursing and rehabilitation center in Issaquah, Washington, who died Sunday, and a man in his 80s, a resident of a Seattle senior center, who died Monday. Michigan and five other states are holding primaries today as the race continues for the Democratic presidential nomination. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. Michigan is a critical Midwestern battleground state, and it offers the biggest delegate prize on this primary Tuesday. A victory in Michigan by former Vice President Joe Biden would solidify his lead over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who hopes to win the state like he did in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. Voters are also casting ballots in Missouri, Mississippi, North Dakota, Idaho, and Washington state. Greg Clugston. Washington. Both former Vice President Biden and Bernie Sanders cancel rallies for their candidacy in Cleveland, Ohio, because of coronavirus fears. On Wall Street, the Dow by 1167 points. The Nasdaq rose 393. More on these stories at townhall.com. This is Stacy on her motorcycle. What an incredible view! And this is Stacy off her motorcycle. Does this have sucralose in it? On her motorcycle. Oh, the wind in my hair! Off her motorcycle. Uh, it's pronounced etc., not etc. On. Woohoo! Yes! Off. No. You're better on your bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Sebastian Gorka here. Maybe you've been hearing about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that helps a person's body deal with inflammation and pain. You've heard all the wonderful testimonials. Well, I have my own testimonial. For many years, my lower back pain was becoming a serious problem. The short story is... I finally gave it a try, and now I'm out of pain too. So if you're in pain, you can order the three-week quick start for just $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com. The TV quiz shows Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune will tape without studio audiences. A person close to the show's 